The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Career Day on the MarTech Podcast. Today we're going to learn about the skills accumulated and the lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on his career. Joining us for Career Day is a distinguished marketing technologist who has held leadership roles in some of Silicon Valley's highest profile startups spanning across the software, content, communication, and advertising industries. Gaia Leaf is the co-founder and CEO at Intellimize, which is a platform that automatically optimizes websites to drive revenue and customer acquisition through an AI technology that dynamically personalizes mobile and desktop websites for each unique visitors in real time. And prior to his role leading Intellimize, Guy held marketing and product roles at Microsoft, Twitter, Yahoo, and Brightroll. Okay, here's my conversation with co-founder and CEO at Intellimize, Guy Yalif. Guy, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Ben, thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to join you. It's an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. You've had an incredible career, worked for some very high-profile companies, and now you're branching out to start one of your own. Let's start off from the beginning. Tell us about how you got into the marketing profession. Right back at you on the distinguished career. And I started where all marketers start. I was an aerospace engineer coding AI to design airplanes. That's like a straight line right into marketing, right? You know, it's about 50% of marketers are actually aerospace engineers, and the rest of us are talking head podcasters. <laughs> um, I thought I was going to design airplanes for the rest of my life and loved the idea. Ended up doing a little bit of consulting at one of the management consulting firms, then spent 10 years as a product person, and then moved into marketing at Yahoo. I was working for a great leader named David Koo. I was leading half of the product team for paid search, which at that time was called Panama. And David asked me to take over and lead the global product marketing team at Yahoo. And for me, it was amazing. One, I got to work with great people, but two, knowing the product in depth was really helpful. And focusing on what made our customers successful was really valuable. And connecting our offering to their day-to-day -day lives and framing our value in terms of what helped them was important. And so this intersection of like product and customers and the logic that connects them, that was a lot of fun. And then no surprise, partly as a result of me being in product before and that being the first touch I had in marketing is that among the different areas of marketing, like brand communications, PR, demand gen, product marketing, product marketing is my wheelhouse. 
So let's talk about the early stages of your career, because I think it's important that you started off when you were an undergrad at Princeton as a mechanical and aerospace engineer. And so you had a very technical education. But then when you transitioned to the working world, you decided to go a different path and go into consulting. What was the reason for not going down the path that you were following with your education? So I was a mechanical and aerospace engineer in part because the kid in the candy store fascination so many of us have with airplanes. Like I was designing million pound objects that floated and I just found that exciting and enjoyed doing it every day. I, out of undergrad, tried management consulting for two reasons. One, a bunch of friends were trying it. It sounded interesting. And I felt very fortunate to have invested enough in aerospace that, you know, if, it, if I didn't like it after a year, it was given indication like, hey, I could go back to designing airplanes. And two, I actually kind of felt like I was born 50 years too late because the part of aerospace engineering that I really enjoyed was, it'll sound perhaps silly, but like the creative part, the strategic part right up front where you were designing the overall thing. And if I were born 50 years earlier, I'd probably do that 20 or 30 times in my career. Today, I'd be lucky if I did it once or twice. So I thought, okay, let me go try this other thing. And I ended up enjoying it. I enjoyed consulting a lot. So as you made the transition, what was it about the skill set that enabled you to understand how to make a million pound device fly that translated to the working world and help you be a successful consultant? In my humble opinion, it's a lot of what is making marketers successful today in that, did I actually use the airplane design skills themselves? No, not at all. Now that's just fun when I travel. But the logic and comfort with taking some big intractable problem and breaking it down to smaller and smaller problems, thinking how they interrelate to each other and being able to connect these disparate concepts to find a solution that was super helpful in consulting. And as a marketer, I have found it super helpful in taking what is hopefully mastery of a product and what it actually does and being able to connect that into day in, day out, what matters to our customers, what makes them successful, what helps them drive more revenue, more leads to sales, more customer acquisition, if that's the thing they're accountable for. And connecting those dots, I find the logic and way of thinking that engineering at least taught me quite useful in that. So I see how an engineering mindset can help you, A, be a successful consultant. And I also see how it transitions you into the tech world working in product management. You mentioned that you started in Microsoft, had an internship and had a couple of different roles, eventually landed in at Yahoo. And that's when you transition into marketing. As an individual contributor or somebody relatively early in their career, what do you take away from the product experience that you had that is related to being a great marketer today? My first role at Yahoo speaks to this. I happen not to have been an individual contributor at that time, but I was working with actually a person who happens to be one of my co-founders now. And the thing that helped me to be a better marketer today that we focused on there was in some sense as simple as treating customers true north. And in some sense, as complicated as how do you really do that day to day? So Jin and I were leading roughly half of Yahoo's small business under Rich Riley, a great leader. And we were selling small businesses the ability to go grow their business, helping them get online. This was in 2004, where it wasn't clear that everybody would have a website to begin. When I first joined, my first task was to help take, I'll get the numbers wrong, but the notions right, this dashboard and with like 100 features and make it 150 and make that usable because if we have more of those features, we'll win. So we did one round of that and then 
spend some time really understanding a day in the life of our customers. We had a few hundred thousand paying customers. This was true small business, like full proprietors, 95% were five employees or fewer. And we asked a bunch of them to let us go to their office and see how they did work day to day. We listened to each one of us, tens and tens of customer care calls. We read hundreds of emails. And then the only time I've done this in my entire career, Jen and I stopped the work the team was doing for a couple of weeks to have everyone do that because we believed that the core problem we were solving was wrong. The further in we got, the more we realized we aspired to make our customers better website creators. We aspired to teach them a whole bunch of stuff. And we marketed that, and that was in our product. That's not what they wanted. They were busy running their business. Their ideal product was one where they stuck money in one end and got leads out the other, and they did nothing in between. So we went from a place of worshiping at the altar of flexibility and creating more features to after what really was sort of a transformational moment for the whole team, driven by intimately understanding our customers and prospects and shifting from that flexibility to we actually took away choice. We made the product materially simpler. We created a highway through the experience and in our marketing that said, hey, we'll help you generate these leads, not take a bunch of your time, share our expertise with you. And for those that were advanced and wanted all the flexibility, great, they could have that. But it was a total shift in what we did. And fortunately, that was something that spoke to our customers and prospects. We grew from a few hundred thousand to a couple million paying customers and were able to materially increase revenue. And we're very, very fortunate as a team to win Yahoo's highest internal honor for that focus on customers. And that I have found useful throughout all the marketing work I've done. It's interesting. You know, my time, I was working at eBay around the same time while Yahoo was developing their small business suite while they're working on Panama search, which you mentioned earlier. And I think of Yahoo and eBay being similar in the sense of they are platforms that were foundational for the, let's call it Internet 1.0 experience. Lots of content, lots of features, and the more that you could push out and the more complicated and additional utility that you can create was meant to provide extra value. And I feel like the shift, most of this comes out of, you know, the rise of mobile technology and everything being crammed into a smaller smaller screen has required marketers and product people to think about how to be very solution oriented and just solve one specific problem at a time and just simplify both a product and the marketing experience. As you transition from moving to Yahoo, your next company was Twitter, which is a company that was on the very forefront of the mobile revolution. Talk to me about what drove you to transition from working in Yahoo, focusing on small, medium-sized businesses, eventually the search business, to go work for a relatively early-stage startup that's centered around communication and mobility. Happy to share. You triggered one thing for me that I also wanted to share. I think what you said is super insightful and that, in fact, creating a simple product or, for that matter, simple marketing, I think it's much harder than creating complex products or complex marketing. A wise person once said to me, hey, I didn't have time to write you a short letter, so I wrote you a long one. I think the same principle applies where you really need to do the hard work of intimately understanding your customer and or your prospects to understand what makes them successful and how you're adding value to them. 
in order to create simpler marketing and simpler products. So when you said that, that, that felt like true north to me. Just to follow up on that, I, I just saw, I think it was probably a meme on Facebook or something that went something to the extent of a wise husband once said nothing, <laughs> which is a similar vein of the less you could say to get your point across, the better. And I think that's a lesson that marketers have learned through the digital revolution as there's more content that's coming at people, as there's more advertising, more channels, more competition. Being simple, direct, and to the point is something that really matters. Anyway, on to your point. <laughs> and to build on that, I happen to have been in one form or another of either building or marketing to marketers for the last 15 plus years. And they're bombarded with messages all the time. So saying more is often not the right answer because they are seeing so many messages. To your question about the transition, you know, at Yahoo, I was fortunate when working on Panama to work with the largest of companies. We went all the way up to enterprise and were helping companies better connect with their target customers. And the opportunity to join Twitter felt similar in the sense that we were building an ad system. I joined the ads part of Twitter when there were, if memory serves me right, 10, 20 people in the ad business. The company itself was like 400 people. Three years later, there were 500 people in the ad business. The whole company was 2,300. And I felt very privileged to be part of growth like that. It was not surprisingly a ton of fun because revenue cures a whole bunch of things and makes a whole bunch of things better. And it was a company that focused on building truly global scale the right way. I had experienced, as I bet many of us have, global when it's a U.S. company, really meaning I'm building for the U.S. And by the way, there's some other parts around the world. And that, at least during the time I was there, was not how Twitter operated at all. I was fortunate to start there and create their product marketing team, their industry marketing team, and later on inherited the sales enablement team. And it grew to 20-ish people in San Francisco, New York, London, Tokyo, Sao Paulo. And it was truly a global team. And that was extraordinary to see happening around the company. I wasn't special in doing that. Everyone was doing that in trying to then solve similar problems that Yahoo was solving in building an advertising system. But at Twitter, it was the very beginning. I mean, when you're building one of those from scratch, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. And so the product team would build things that produced 30% lift, 40% lift, 100% lift on what advertisers were getting before. Gosh, that feels great to everybody. And then as the system gets more mature, those are fewer and harder to find. And there, I felt lucky to work with great people to help drive revenue by enabling our sales team to move prospects through our entire funnel. And by better connecting what our product team built to what we were hearing out in market, we spent a bunch of time creating process and approach to help sales rationalize their asks, which is something sales often found, in particular in ads at least, found uncomfortable. Because they're like, hey, I need this feature to close this deal. I need this feature to close that deal. And instead to say, look, we're going to share actually a rationalized ranked list where the competing priorities within sales and different customers have been unified into a big voice into product. It wasn't power of God. It wasn't like sales said, build this and product will go do it. But it was a stronger, materially stronger market connection such that sales said, hey, this is the most market-driven roadmap I've ever been a part of. Product felt good because they were shipping stuff that was driving revenue and that sales was using. And there are a lot of negative potential dynamics that this helped avoid. And it was also great to be in marketing in a way that was really arm-in-arm -arm with sales. They were great friends and it felt great to go build the business together. So there's a couple of different dynamics there that I want to double-click on. 
first off, you're running multiple teams within marketing, right? You're developing the ads product. So you're leveraging your product experience. You're working with your industry marketing, and then you're also doing sales enablement and you know the connection between sales and marketing. As you're maturing in your career, and you'd been a manager at Yahoo, you're working in a company that's going through explosive growth, and you're managing multiple teams. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. Talk to me about some of the ways that you were able to stay organized, keep the personalities in check, go through the growth. Like, how do you manage that much work in an environment that's changing so quickly? Happy to share a full and humble transparency. I didn't build the product. I was definitely on the marketing side and loved the product team. They were full of brilliant, very positive, great folks that were doing great things. I think, how do you stay organized? There's many answers as there are people. I happen to be more on the staying organized end of work and so would have, I think, perpetually evolving way of organizing different projects and planning things out. But having clarity between what every single person was doing and how it's going to impact our business, that was really important. So that as people made the thousand decisions they make every day, they made better ones. They knew, hey, this is how we're driving revenue. This is how we're enabling a sales team. Or they understood to a person, here's our target customer. Here's why we're valuable for them. Here's where we're strong. Here's where we're weaker. Here's how we tie those things into a day in their life. Another thing we did that I learned from a great person who came from an agency at Twitter was to, in organizing that work, tell different stories. We were using a lot of consumer storytelling techniques in B2B marketing, which historically, you know, many of us know is like, can be pretty dry. It can be pretty feature function oriented. And we were telling emotionally evocative stories. We were thinking about like story arcs. There were people in Twitter who had been in Hollywood and would teach us like, hey, here's the arc of a typical movie and here's where you create tension. And doing that, when you're pitching ads to marketers in a B2B environment, 
that was really different. That was really inspiring and people were interested in hearing it. To come back to directly answering your question, other elements, empowering people to the maximum of their ability and a bit beyond, and then checking in with them to help ensure they were set up for success. If somebody's stumbling, figure out how you can help them. If they're thriving, give them more that they can go do, and then ensure that there is in connecting what they're doing into how we're having business impact, clear measurement of what they're doing, how it matters. Those were the more quantitative things. There was also then the softer stuff of like, where are we driving revenue? That's hard, but soft was sales happy. Did they enjoy the partnership? You know, the interesting thing to me about Twitter at that time is, I think that this maybe is the media-driven theme, but that it was productive chaos, that there was such explosive growth and that the platform was growing so quickly and that the brand had gotten so far out in front and that the media was using the tool to broadcast information that the ad platforms were not a priority until you know the company was much more mature, right? It was all about scale and growth. So the marketing team at Twitter, from what I've read, was something that was sort of added in late into the game relative to other startups that are that size and scale of company because they were trying to gain so much market share and were so focused at growth. How did you find the role of marketing at the organization? And did you feel like you were working at a startup at a growth stage company? Or you know, was the marketing team less mature than the rest of the organization? So all of this is opinion of one. Very smart people will have different lenses. The growth was so explosive that we changed how we operated regularly. I think generally pretty healthily. You know, there was just enough process to get the job done and typically not more. You know, we tended not to overhire. We were hiring very rapidly. When I left, the onboarding class each week was probably 50 people. I mean, it was very rapid growth. But if we got too far ahead of our skis, ignoring the financial implications for a moment, it would just add too many layers, too much communication, too much overhead. So the team, I think, was able to adjust how we operated Adam Bain, who led the revenue team there, I thought was extraordinary. I learned a bunch from him, watching him go from when there were 10 or 20 people there, we're all in a foxhole together and arm around each other and a lot of day-to-day getting it done interaction and how that changed as the organization grew to 50 and 100 people and there was a bit more structure. And then we were at four and 500 people. There are more layers and even more structure and more formality that was needed because you had a large organization and needed to have strategic clarity to guide what everybody is doing. Not that there wasn't strategic clarity before, but it was simply a smaller team. The comments you made resonate for me a lot, but again, at least opinion of one, I think they're more right for the consumer side. It felt like ads started marketing day one, not literally day one, but I mean, when there were like 10 or 20 people there, you know, there were already marketers there because we needed to help sellers sell because we needed to go drive revenue. And we did feel like the beneficiaries of what you said. It felt like the brand was so much bigger than the ad platform was. We were at the very, very basics of ads and the brand was already enormous. It felt unfair in our favor. Again, just my opinion. And it caused us to get meetings with more senior people who were more curious how to leverage this medium that potentially enabled them to engage their prospects more and more deeply than they had before. That was fantastic. And it did feel like on the consumer part of the business, attracting other consumers, it did feel like that marketing team was spun up at scale later 
partly, again, because it was unfair in our favor, because it was in media self-interest to use Twitter. It helped amplify what they were doing, and so more people heard about it, and it was placed more places. So there was a lot of word of mouth and media-driven acquisition that a consumer team didn't need to go help drive until later on. Yeah. At the end of my tenure working at eBay, I was responsible for managing all of the strategic partnerships and fixed integration. So this was around when Twitter's ad platform was starting, and I coordinated a meeting with the leadership at eBay's internet marketing team to come meet with the guys at Twitter. And you know, we thought that this was going to be the heads of the ad platform, and we sit down in a meeting, and it was Dick Costello that was there. Wow. At the time, he was the COO and eventually became the CEO and the person that took the company public. But I remember as Twitter was developing not only its strategic partnership marketing, but its ad platform in the early days, it was very much a small team that was visible at an executive level. They basically rolled out the red carpet for the partnership teams to try to introduce advertising and how it would work with Twitter. And so I had a little experience with the Twitter team while I was working at eBay. I'm glad it was a good experience. And I, from another part of the company while sitting in ads, saw both a sales team that had great ads experience and was able to help marketers achieve their goals in the different ways that this platform was uniquely good at doing so, and saw other partnership teams, some in data, and that grew to be much bigger after I wasn't at Twitter anymore. And a lot with media. The things the media team did were incredible in truly engaging to help media connect more directly with the people to whom they've been broadcasting for so long. And we saw a whole bunch of revolutionary things happen that are now part of day-to-day and that other platforms have imitated as well. So yeah, it was an amazing time to be part of that rocket ship. And I felt fortunate to be there. So the company goes through explosive growth. You're responsible for multiple different parts of the marketing of the advertising team. And eventually you make a transition to Bright Roll. And this is based on your resume, it looks like the first real executive leadership where you were the head of global product and internet marketing. You're now a vice president. Talk to me about the rationale for the transition from working at Twitter, the rocket ship that it was, to focusing on the ad platform at Bright Roll. And what was your role there? So Twitter had gone public and Brightroll was a 400-person, rapidly growing company focused on programmatic advertising. Twitter was about 400 people, the overall company when I joined. Brightroll, I humbly submitted, thought programmatic is where advertising is going. And it turns out not my insight, but in general, like it is where a lot of ad dollars went. So that felt very interesting. The culture and team were amazing. The team with whom I was privileged to work, the CEO, Todd Setradotti, some of the best people with whom I've ever worked before. And it was a great experience working with this group of human beings and having a focus on customers, being humble, being logical, being data-driven, and having a group that was ready to go to play to win, as Twitter was as well. And there, I felt fortunate to lead a team for end-to-end marketing, you know, from demand gen to product marketing to comms and PR where on the executive team, we needed and did show the value and impact of marketing day-to-day. It was important to connect the work the team was doing to how it was shifting perception in market. We had some brand changes we needed to make, and we did. And the value was generating for our sales team, driving leads day in, day out. We had a very close partnership with sales. 
And we also then did a bunch of strategic inbound product marketing. Like at Twitter, we set up that process now at a small scale again to connect what we're hearing in markets into what we are building in our roadmap. Again, not power of God, just a meaningful input. And finally, it was an even larger scale balancing of resources. There was an eight-figure, low eight-figure, but eight-figure budget to go manage and optimize and tune to go achieve these goals in shifting brand perception and driving leads for sales. So it seems like there is a template that's being followed here if I'm making a connection between Yahoo, Twitter, and Brightroll, which is you're working on marketing these advertising platforms, you're leveraging your previous product experience, you're working hand-in-hand to influence what product should be built based on what market needs you're seeing. And you go from a large company to Twitter, which is a rocket ship, and you try to replicate that sort of rocket ship type company experience by going to Brightroll. Brightroll never becomes the size and scope of Twitter. It's a very successful company. But eventually you move and you start Intelemize. So you become a, a co-founder and CEO of your own company. You have experience working on marketing and helping develop these ad platforms. Tell me what Intelemize is. It seems like it's a little bit of a departure from the ad platform work that you were doing. What does the company do? Why start this company and why be a founder? So Brightroll ended up being acquired by Yahoo. So there was a second trip there and there that pattern you described continued. Now at a much larger scale, connecting what we're hearing in market into what we're building and navigating the organization and finding good homes for the team and stayed for a little while. And the genesis of this company was in part based on my experience at Brightroll with a team of 30, 35, this low eight-figure budget that we optimized the pieces out of that we used to drive traffic to our website. And there, my tail and my head of demand gen's tail were on the line to go drive leads to sales. And we did nothing to go tune that last mile of the funnel, the bottom of the funnel, where we were going to create value to go generate leads to sales. And that made no sense to me at all. So then looked out at the solutions that were out there and saw the manual testing that puts all the work on us as marketers. Saw A-B testing, which is phenomenal because it's data-driven marketing. It moves us from intuition-driven messaging and marketing and experiences to data-driven. That's wonderful. But then all the work's on us. So thought, well, hey, we've been doing stuff in ads like programmatic advertising out in the open for more than a decade that can do a better job of figuring out what experiences to show each individual to move them further down the funnel that I've never seen applied to websites. So my two co-founders were people I've known for years, have worked together for a long time. Our families know each other. They were the two most senior engineers that led the engineering team that personalized the Yahoo homepage for more than half a decade. So they'd applied personalization at internet scale and made internet scale mistakes and learned a whole bunch about practically applying machine learning. And we thought, well, hey, this background of serving marketers and growth professionals across industries in ad tech for 10, 15 years, and this background of personalization, they might be a good fit for bringing this level of optimization to websites. So then we talked to people. We talked to more than 100 marketers and growth professionals before doing anything and saw, yeah, this is a real problem. There is real money sitting here. We spend $100 billion a year as marketers driving people to websites, and we fail 98% of the time at getting them to convert into customers. There's a real opportunity here. So we started the company to try to address that problem to make it easier for marketers to deliver more revenue or more customers or more leads to sales, to do so more quickly and to spend less effort doing so. As you make the transition from roles that were centered on marketing, you have a product experience. 
Tell me about how your product marketing background has helped you excel as a founder and as the lead executive of a company. The heart of that product marketing, at least that I found so compelling previously, was intimately understanding our prospects, walking a day in their shoes to understand what would make them successful. You know, in a B2B environment, which is where I've spent my marketing career, it's how do I help them achieve their goals? How do I help them grow revenue, customers, leads, sales? How do I help them add value to their business? In a B2C environment, it's how do I help my prospect and customer feel the way they want to feel, have the emotions they want to have, achieve the things they want to achieve? That focus, in my humble opinion, is super helpful to being a founder, super helpful to being a CEO. Because then you can help focus the entire company on that. There are many ways to run a company. There are companies that say, you know, hey, I'm going to really focus on the financials and create value through financial engineering. There's some that say, hey, I'm going to create a lot of value by being really, really good at sales and we can sell anything. I'm stereotyping and caricaturing. So this is a little unfair. For me, the cloth I'm cut from is customers true north and being able to understand what will really help them be successful then it's guiding all around the company. It's guiding to what we build. It's guiding to how we market. It's guiding to the problems we choose to solve. And that last one ends up being really, really important to be super clear as a company. Whom are we going to be great for? What problems are we going to solve for them? And why are we going to be great at solving those problems? That is something everyone in the company needs to understand in every role and maintaining that focus, being crystal clear about it, using it in day-to-day decision-making, when we're planning quarters, when we're making big decisions and referring back to it, that's been really helpful. And so I think product marketing was a great background for that, for the way I like to lead. I think that thinking about a customer-centric approach is not just a trait of marketers. It's something that we focus on and maybe not even enough understanding who our customers are, what their needs are, and building products and services to help support them. And it's refreshing to hear from an executive perspective that that's not just something that is a marketer's problem, but it also goes into product and into the financing of a company and really the leadership of an organization. I think the last question I have for you is you look back from being the kid in college who was wanting to build airplanes and having this roundabout path to becoming an executive of a marketing and technology company. For people who are interested in getting into a career path similar to yours, what advice do you have for them? You trigger two things with the question. One is suggestion to go learn by being great at several companies. And I don't mean like six months since. I mean, making an impact, seeing what it takes to do that and doing that in companies that are well-respected, known for being successful, have a way they do things. And two, explore different sized companies, different cultures, different environments. So you can learn what's right for you. There is a path we are told to go on often. You know, hey, I'm going to get a bigger title, manage more people, manage a bigger budget, go somewhere bigger. And that may exactly be the right path for you. But go figure out the one that's yours by trying these different places on for size and really try them on for size, achieve success in them, show progressive growth. And then you'll see, hey, which one of those made me happier? Because that, in my humble opinion, will cause all the other things to happen. You will get promoted. You will make a lot of money. You will have big impact if you're happy doing that day in, day out. I think it's great advice, you know, finding the path and getting experience and learning from the businesses and organizations that have processes set up so you understand how they've got to the point of scale and success. Guy, let me just say it's been a pleasure hearing about your career. It's been great to connect, and thank you for being our guest on the show. Ben, it's been an honor to join you. Thanks for having me today. I enjoyed the discussion a lot, and I hope the listeners found it useful. 
All right, that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Guy Yalif, co-founder and CEO at Intellimize for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Guy, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet. His handle is G-Y-A-L-I-F. Or you can visit his company's website, which is Intellimize.com, I-N-T-E-L-L-I-M-I-Z-E.com. Just one link in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com. We have summaries for all of our episodes. We have contact information for our guests. You can sign up for our once a week newsletters. It's got lots of great information for you. Also, if you have any questions, if you have topic suggestions, you can reach out and send them to us and we'll answer them live on our show. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we publish episodes every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.